Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Our Father, we are simply in awe and astounded by that glorious plan to save the world. That you would give of yourself so generously. Not just send a messenger. Not just give us some good advice. But that you'd send your own son to be sacrificed, to be slain on our behalf. Father, may those truths grip our souls this morning. And may it cause our praise and our joy to rise. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, one of the Christmas specials that gets played every year is the 1965 animated show, A Charlie Brown Christmas. It's one that adults and children alike enjoy. And for over a a half century now, people have returned to it again and again. In fact, maybe you've already watched it this holiday season. And there are multiple reasons why A Charlie Brown Christmas has endured so long. And there are probably multiple reasons for this, but one of the reasons that I would hypothesize this morning is that it's Charlie Brown's struggle to find meaning in the midst of all the tinsel and lights that is one that resonates with audiences every year. We instinctively know that even if we participated in all the holiday things that are around us every year, went to every party, bought gifts for everyone around us, and we did the whole shebang, that we would still not be fully fulfilled. There would be an emptiness in all of this. On top of this, Christmas can also be joyless because at Christmas time, we get faced oftentimes with painful memories as well. The absence of loved ones now deceased pierces our heart as we see the empty chair at the table. The reality of strained relationships is made ever real as we realize that we're miles apart from those people. And on top of that, we all deal with the suffering and pain of life in this fallen world that even in the midst of all the great food and wonderful music is still there. And we feel poignantly. In this fallen world, even a wonderful season such as Christmas, in which as a society we try to to lift our smiles and we try to be joyful and happy for a season. It can't bring healing to the brokenness and give us deep and lasting, abiding joy. But we long for this joy, do we not? We want to be happy people. We long for a satisfaction that exists long after the trees and the lights come down and the feasts have all been eaten up. And I believe that the Word of God gives us the keys for just such a joy. 
And in our text this morning, we're going to see this joy exhibited by the shepherds who watch their flocks outside of Bethlehem. And I invite you this morning to turn your personal copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 2. To Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to use one that's in the pew rack directly in front of you. And you'll find our passage this morning on page 1019. Luke chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 8, and we will read through verse 20. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Do you sense the excitement and the joy and the shepherds of that evening so long ago? Let's follow the shepherds as they go to visit the manger and see how we can have the same joy that they have. And so this morning, I want to show you from this text five stepping stones to true joy so that you might know abiding joy this Christmas so that we might know true, deep, lasting, abiding joy. The first stepping stone to this true joy is, number one, to believe the Word of God. Believe the Word of God. And we see this in verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. The shepherds had been watching their flock. It had been a dark night there in Bethlehem when suddenly the glory of the Lord shone around them as an angel appeared 
On top of that, then more angels arrived who were singing and praising God. And then as that scene passes away, the shepherds are once again find themselves in relative darkness in the Judean hillside. The, the heavenly choir has disappeared. It's returned to heaven, it says. And these lowly shepherds are now left to process this event that will radically change their life. They've just witnessed heaven break down into, come down into earth and, and celebrate the arrival of God's Son. But what will they do with this? What are they going to do with this amazing event that they have just witnessed? They could sit back down and watch the sheep some more and, and just say, wow, that was, that was pretty incredible. But no, they don't do that. They, they say, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, that, which the Lord has made known to us. I want you to notice, particularly in that statement, the faith that they express. The faith that they express. There is no doubt about whether what they heard is true. They know that it's, it has happened. They just want to see it for their own eyes. They're not questioning whether it really happened. We need to go confirm this. We're not really sure if angels are really that reliable of a source. So we better go see if this is really true. No, they, they know as a matter of fact that indeed this Savior has been born. They just want to see it with their own eyes. But notice that they don't say which the angels made known to us. It says which the Lord has made known to us. Even though the angel had spoken to them, they knew the words that were delivered were from the Lord Himself. And so, as they realize that God Himself has delivered this wonderful news, they have such an energy and excitement about them. There's a, there's a hubbub of activity as they're figuring out, we, we just got to go. Forget the sheep. We got to see this baby. You see, if there, was, if there was any doubt about whether this was true, if they didn't have faith in what the Lord had spoken to them through the angel, there would no, not be any joy or excitement. Doubt doesn't create joy. It's faith that lays the foundation for joy. These joy-filled men believe the word of God that was delivered to them by the angels of heaven. And they believed it to the point of acting upon the news. But what specifically did they believe? What was the news that was announced to them? Look up at verse 10 and 11. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. What was spoken to them was the good news, the gospel. The gospel that a Savior had been born. And here's the point. Faith is a necessary foundation for abiding joy. Faith is a necessary foundation for abiding joy. Folks, we live in a postmodern age in which doubt and uncertainties are promoted and encouraged. In fact, the only tenet of postmodernism is that there is no truth, and therefore the only thing left to believe in is the certainty of uncertainty. And 
you might say, oh, that's great for the philosophers in, in the university. But the reality is that this has wreaked havoc on the ground in people's lives. It's resulted in people unsure of where they came from, unsure of why they exist, unsure of what the purpose of their lives are, and unsure of what is true and what is right in this world. And I believe that this confusion at a basic worldview level has led to depression and a sense of lostness among people today. Doubt has led to depression. In contrast to this uncertainty that we see around us, the Bible calls us to place our faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord. Faith, you see, is not just wishful hoping on something that may or may not happen. It's not a casual acceptance of the truth. Someone says, oh yeah, I've got faith. And they think that that simply means, yeah, I kind of believe that those things are probably true. No, that's not what biblical faith is. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. There's a conviction that these things are true. We have faith in God who we cannot see, but has revealed Himself in His Word. The Bible is the authoritative revelation of of God. And it's this revelation that we either believe or we reject. We either put our faith in God by based upon what he says in his word or we reject it and cast it aside. To believe the word of God requires more than just acknowledging something as good or true. In fact, the reformers of the 16th century identified three essential components of true faith. Three essential components. The first is knowledge. We've got to have a content to our faith. We must know about God. We must know about His Son, Jesus Christ, and about the plan of salvation that comes through Jesus. And this knowledge is obtained through reading His Word. This is how we know about God. But knowing a body of content is not enough for true faith. We must also affirm the truth of that content. You see, millions of people know something about Christianity, but they do not believe it is true. So just having the content, the knowledge, is not enough. You must assent to its truthfulness. But even that is not fully enough. Even knowing the facts and believing them to be true are not enough in themselves to make us Christians. James 2.19 tells us that the demons believe. They know who God is. They believe it's truth, but they don't trust God. You see, the last element of true saving faith is trust. Entrusting ourselves into the hands of Christ the living truth. That must be there for there to be true faith. For us to know what God has said, to assent to its truth, and to trust ourselves fully in Him. So I ask you this morning, do you believe what the Word of God says? Not just know what it says, but believe it. 
Trust it. Know that that everything depends upon God. Your entire salvation, your eternal destiny rests upon Him. And in that you cling and rest completely. True, lasting joy comes when we humble ourselves, surrender ourselves as master of our lives, and bow before the only sovereign one and believe and trust him. The shepherds demonstrated that night that they trusted fully in the word of the Lord that was spoken to them. Their sovereign Lord had spoken and they believed it to the core of their being. May God help us to do the same. But the second stepping stone for true joy is to obey the Word of God. To obey the Word of God. First is to believe the Word of God. Secondly is to obey the Word of God. It's not enough to be sitting here and say that we believe. We must demonstrate with our actions that we believe. And the shepherds exemplify this beautifully for us. Look in verse 16 of Luke 2. It says, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. The message of the angels, as we've said, it came from the mouth of God. Therefore, the shepherds must respond to it. When the living God speaks, humanity must respond. And the word of the Lord that was spoken was so powerful it demanded action. The news was so wonderful that this newly born Savior must be seen. And so they took their faith on the road. They went quickly, it says, with haste or in a hurry. They, they were stumbling over themselves trying to, trying to get there to see this child. They couldn't get there fast enough to see this child laying in a manger. He was their Lord, Christ the Lord, the angels had said. Upon searching through the little town of Bethlehem, they found the little family. And specifically, they found the baby just as the angels had said, lying in a manger, Luke emphatically notes for us. Now, as I argued a couple weeks ago, I believe that Jesus was born in an ordinary peasant home in Bethlehem, not in a, a stable. The family would have been invited into one of Joseph's relatives' homes. And because there was no room in the, in the guest room, she would have had to have, Mary would have had to have given birth in the main living area and then would have put the, the child in a feeding trough, which was common in peasant homes in that day because they brought animals in at night. And so thus there were, excuse me, feeding troughs in the homes. And so I can only imagine the excitement of these men when they laid eyes upon this child. And in one sense, they walk in and they see this child wrapped and laying in a feeding trough, it would have looked amazingly normal. I mean, it, it would have looked like probably one of their own children. Because, you see, Jesus was, was 100% human. He wasn't this strange spiritual being child that uh, looked, looked odd or it looked non-human. He, he was born of a woman, and was truly a man. He, it, it would have looked like any other child. 
And yet, they knew that this child who looked so ordinary and so normal had been heaven sent. That this was God's son. This child was their savior. Was their Messiah. Was their Lord. And therefore required that they bow down and worship this child. And here's the point. The faith of the shepherds prompted them to travel the mile or two to see the child. They did not stay in the field. They went to go see the child. If there was any doubt in their minds about whether this was actually true, those doubts were certainly dispelled when they saw that newborn baby. And Luke records it here for us so that in the centuries since, all people who read this text can have their doubts dispelled as well. To know that this wasn't just a fabricated event because someone can write, they, oh yeah, there were, there were angels that showed up to me and, and told me this thing, but they actually went and saw the baby with their own eyes. There were eyewitness testimony that that baby was there. And so these shepherds obeyed the word that they had heard from the Lord. Now, obedience has gotten a bad rap in our day. In fact, maybe you cringe a little bit when you hear the word obedience. You go, ah, is that really what God wants is obedience? I mean, even in the parenting culture today, obedience is, has, has uh, parents have a hard time requiring obedience from their children. And in the Christian circles, obedience is often labeled with the term legalism. And so people avoid obedience because, oh, that's just legalism. But the reality is, folks, is that obedience, rightly understood, is simply faith in action. It flows out of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's obedience. If we love Jesus... We will keep His commandments. We will obey His commandments, His word. It's as simple as that. You cannot say that you love Jesus or follow Jesus or are a Christian and yet fail to strive to obey Him. In fact, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 6, just a few chapters to the right. Luke chapter 6. Verse 46. Jesus wanted to make this point clear in his ministry. And so he says here in Luke 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus makes it clear, why do you call me Lord, but do not do what I say? 
And if you do not do what I say, your whole religious house is a house of cards. It will fall down the slightest push. And so I ask you, what's the status of obedience to the Lord Jesus in your life this morning? Is there an area that you're avoiding obedience to the Lord? You know what that is. The thing that's been tugging upon your heart, you know you need to do, and yet you keep finding ways to ignore it and excuse it? Is there a sin that you're harboring that you don't want to let go of? Your Lord, Jesus Christ, calls you to flee, to repent, to turn and put away all wickedness from our lives. Or maybe there's something that God's calling you to do and you're just failing to do it. It's not that you're doing the wrong thing that you need to stop, but there's something you should be doing that you're just not even doing. Maybe it's loving your enemies, someone that is hard to love. Or maybe it's speaking up for Christ in the workplace where His name is regularly trampled upon and you have remained silent. Or maybe it's simply shepherding your family in the Word of God. If we want to know true, lasting joy this Christmas, we must believe in Jesus Christ as our only Savior and we must obey Him as our Lord. The shepherds exemplified that. We must follow in those footsteps. The third stepping stone I want us to see this morning to true lasting joy is found in verse 17, and that is to share the Word of God. First is to believe the Word of God. Second, obey the Word of God. Thirdly, share the Word of God. Verse 17 in Luke chapter 2. It says, And when they, the shepherds, saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. As the shepherds are gazing into the manger, they can't help but open their mouths and share the amazing news that had been told to them. I imagine that they, they, they come in, there's a knock at the door, and, and Joseph, or the, the host of the home, opens the door, and there's a whole bunch of shepherds outside, and they're going, can I help you? <laughs> what are all you shepherds doing right now in the middle of the night? And they say, we, I mean, the words, I mean, to put together a coherent sentence to say, we have angels appear to us, and we need to see the baby that's inside, uh, no doubt would have been this concophony of all these shepherds trying to speak at the same time. But they, they get in, they see this child, and, and there's got to be, I, I don't know, I just imagine maybe a moment of silence as they're trying to take it in. Like, it's exactly as the angels told us. And then they turn and, and start telling Mary and Joseph all that they have seen, everything that, that took place. They had just experienced the most amazing life-changing event. They had wonderful news from the mouth of God spoken to them, and they wanted to spread that to everybody. And so upon seeing the child, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. Now, as we've been looking at through this uh, chapter... The traditional depiction of Mary and Joseph in a stable by themselves, and then the shepherds come in and, and find them. 
shows the holy family as kind of the only people that are there when the shepherds show up. But as we've been saying, if Jesus was born in an ordinary home in Bethlehem, that there would have been other people around. The people that, had, that, that, that owned the home and lived there, as well as potentially others. I think also verse 18, it, the next verse, it says, all who heard it wondered. I think that all specifies that there was more than just Mary and Joseph that were there. So the shepherds are, are telling the good news to Mary, to Joseph, and the other folks that are in the house. Now, what did they share? No doubt they, they shared the whole scene, right? We were out in the fields, we were doing our normal thing, and the angel shows up, tells us this message, and then all these angels show up and they start praising God. And, and they, they depict or communicate everything that took place. But verse 17 specifically says that they communicated that which had been told them concerning this child. In other words, they wanted to share the good news about what the angel had shared concerning the child born. Therefore, the good news, the gospel that was proclaimed to them, is the good news, the gospel that they proclaimed to all those listening. They shared the gospel because they heard that this good news would be for all the people. Great joy for all the people. So we've got to pass this on. And folks, this is the greatest news in the world. It's the reason we call it the gospel, the good news, meaning the best news. God has become man. He has come to dwell with us. He didn't have to do this. He could have left us in our sin. He could have rejected us. And he would have been perfectly just in doing so. His character not impinged in the light in the least. But he graciously gave himself. He gave himself. And these shepherds wanted everyone else, everyone else to know this incredible news. They were excitedly and joyfully spoke of what they had heard. They, they had to share it. And so in this, the shepherds really became the first New Testament evangelists. They're the ones who heard the gospel and decided to share the gospel. The joy over the gospel bubbled over into proclamation. You see, evangelism means to speak the gospel. It, and this is exactly what the shepherds did. They, they did it out of their joy and it completed their joy. When they, when, you see, when we truly understand the gospel, when we believe it and when we act upon it, repenting of our sins and obeying the Lord, we can't help but tell others about it. Because it's the best news for our souls, and therefore it's the best news for everyone else's souls as well. Now, is it not true that those who are new, newly converted to Christ are often most enthusiastic about sharing and telling others about him. And maybe that was you when you first came to Christ. You, you, you couldn't shut up. You had to tell everyone around you and, and, and get into conversations about the Lord with, with all those that, that you knew and loved. But you, the, the telling of others about the glories of Christ is the calling of every Christian. Let me remind you of, of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, which says, But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for his own possession. Why? Why have you been chosen? Why are you a special priesthood? Why are you a special nation? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Friends, you've been chosen by God, adopted into his family, that you might be a mouthpiece for his excellencies. He might want to share and tell others of how great and glorious and amazing the Lord is. This is a truth that this world and our society wants to stamp out, that God is not great, that God is not glorious, and that religion is simply a crutch. And so stuff it inside your head and inside your heart and don't ever talk about it. But that's, that's not New Testament Christianity. To be a follower of Jesus is to, is to not be quiet about the excellencies of Jesus. Because this is good news that this whole world needs to hear. We must never lose our wonder over the gospel. We must be amazed every day at the grace that has been shown to us. And we must be reminded that the gospel is not just to be intended to be good news for me, but for all people. This is for the world. If you're here this morning and you have lost your joy in Christ and you do not have an excitement to tell others about the grace of God, then dive into the word of God and hear the gospel afresh. And ask God that he would open your heart and your mind to see Jesus in all of his glory. And that you would be deeply thankful and joyful over this wonderful gospel. May God give us a passion and enthusiasm for sharing, proclaiming, and treasuring the gospel of Jesus Christ this Christmas season. Well, the fourth stepping stone to joy that we see in this passage is to ponder the Word of God. To ponder the Word of God. And we see this in verses 18 and 19. It says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Verses 18 and 19 describe two different reactions to the news the shepherds shared. We see the crowd, or the all, in verse 18, and we see Mary in verse 19. Look at verse 18. It says, All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I believe this was more than just Mary and Joseph. I believe this all is seeking to describe a group of people that are, or, that are there at the time of the shepherd's telling. But notice what it says about this all, about all these people. It says that they, all who heard it, wondered at what the shepherds told them. This word wondered means to be extraordinarily impressed, to marvel to admire, or to be amazed. Now, this reaction of marveling or wondering or being amazed is certainly appropriate based upon the, what was just told to them. I mean, the fact that angels suddenly appeared to these ordinary shepherds out in the fields would certainly cause an amazement, 
would certainly cause the people to go, wow, you're kidding me. He said, no, it was right there. I saw it. I, I'm telling you. I mean, there, there would be a natural wow factor to that news that was shared. But Luke contrasts their reaction with that with Mary's, recorded in verse 19, which says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The, the but here in the Greek is highly contrastive, meaning that Luke is trying to, to paint a black and white picture. He's trying to create a contrast, saying the crowd, all who heard it, responded this way, but in contrast, Mary responded this way. The crowd wondered, but Mary pondered. What's the difference between these two reactions? Well, people can ponder and wonder at a lot of things. In fact, uh, many internet blogs and YouTube channels exist today simply to try to get people to be amazed and wowed at certain things. Uh, And no doubt, if you spend any time on the internet, you've seen the clickbait titles that read something like, 13 places so amazing you'll think they're from another planet. Or something along those lines. Or five jokes so funny I couldn't stop laughing. Or fill in the blank with some other clickbait title. But people click on these. That's why it's called clickbait. Because people go, oh, I wonder what that is. <laughs> All right? And then they start scrolling through the 23 pictures. And they go, Ooh, oh, yeah, okay, wow. Or they watch the video and they go, whoa, that's crazy. That guy jumped off of where? And... Because we like to be amazed. We like to have those wow factors. But you see, all this amazement that our society fills our everyday with, the amazement, whether it's on YouTube, the Discovery Channel, the movie theater, this amazement doesn't change our lives in the least. They go on living their normal life. It provides a spark of excitement in their dreary cubicle day, and then they go on. but it doesn't change them. It provides a little spark. And the sad reality is the same is true spiritually. The same is true spiritually. Like a cup of coffee to help wake us up, people get their little doses of spirituality or Bible in order to make them feel better. They marvel at a a touching acapella rendition of a familiar song. They're amazed at a touching thing a a son did for his mother, or they they wonder at some inspirational quote posted on Facebook. And again, there's a whole industry of this to get Christians wowed and amazed by spiritual things, feel-good things. But in the same way, it never goes beyond this. Amazement doesn't change our life. It provides an emotional high, it gives the warm fuzzies, maybe some goosebumps, goosebumps, but that's it. And friends, this is not the response of true faith. Sure, we can start with amazement, but it's got to go beyond that. Jesus came to change lives, not to be inspirational clickbait. The response of true faith demands a deeper response than just amazement. And this is what Mary models for us in this story before us. 
Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Two significant words here. Treasured means to be kept, to protect, or to store in one's mind for careful consideration. It's this this collecting, this pulling together and, and storing them away mentally. But not to be forgotten like in an attic, but to be pulled out and to be pondered. Pondered, meaning to meditate or to consider or to pull together and assemble. Mary, ever since the angel first appeared to her announcing that this child was going to be born, has been pondering and figuring out who is this one in my womb? And what is God going to do with him? She's been trying to piece together all the facts about this child that she's heard from the angel, that she's heard from Joseph, that she heard from Elizabeth, she heard from Zechariah, that she's now hearing from the shepherds. She's collecting and assimilating and putting together. What's that pondering mean? She's thinking it over and how all these things fit together. You see, Mary did not let these events simply wow her. She took note of them and placed them deep in her mind and her heart because she didn't want to forget them. She knew that they were significant. And she wanted to think about the significance of all that was taking place. In one sense, she's just being a natural mother, right? I mean, all mothers know all the data about their child and what day and what happened and all these sorts of things. She noted each of these details. And here it's, Luke tells us, on the night of his arrival, as the shepherds announce this great news, she's taking it all in. Now, she didn't know what all these things meant. Some would like to say that Mary was the only one who truly understood what Jesus was going to do and his life mission, that he was going to die on the cross because she's putting all this together. I don't think that's what Luke's trying to say here. I think she did have greater understanding and greater knowledge than a lot of others, including all the people who heard it and were simply amazed. But she too was confused. There's a point in his Jesus' ministry where she's with her other sons and, and they think Jesus is out of his mind. She's, she's not sure exactly what's going on with Jesus' ministry. But she's doing her best to put things together. Connect the dots between the Old Testament prophecies and her son. She knew his name was Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. And now she just heard that the angels announced him as a savior born for all the people. Again, I don't think she perceived that the cross was coming yet. But she was thinking about the implications and significance of her son and the mission which God sent him. And here... Luke puts Mary forward for us to be a model for us, even today. We must think deeply about Jesus Christ, about what he came to do. We must ponder and meditate on who he is. We must meditate upon the word of God. We can't let it pass in one ear and out the other. We can't just read a little something and go on and not let it soak into our souls. And yet, in our time-strapped days, the Word of God often gets pushed to the very corners, to where we barely have enough time to read it, much less think about it. And yet, friends, meditation 
not Eastern meditation where you empty your mind of all things, but biblical meditation where we fill our minds with truth and we soak on it, we think about it, about who God is and the implications for us. That takes time, which is so precious. But the Lord is precious. And his truth will transform us as we meditate upon it. You see, Mary was simply being an illustration of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Mary was a fruitful tree, meditating upon the Word of God, thinking upon her Son. And God blessed her for it. And so I ask you, what are you meditating upon this Christmas season? What are the things that are running through your mind? If you're if you've got a printout of all the minutes that you spend thinking about things like we do our, our cell phone bills, what would be the thing that would be reoccurring the most? What are you spending the minutes of your, of your mind and heart on? Is there anything about Christ, about the gospel? I encourage you, take time. Many of you have some sorts of breaks that take place during this holiday season, take some of that time to ponder and meditate upon the Word of God. If we will give our minds and hearts to treasuring God's Word, we will find our joy steady and abiding. That brings us to our fifth and final stepping stone to true joy this morning. Fifth and final, worship the God of the Word. Worship the God of the Word. We're looking at believing the Word of God, obeying the Word of God, sharing the Word of God, ponder the Word of God, and we need to worship the God of the Word. Look in verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Our narrative ends with the shepherds returning to their fields and to their flocks, But they were going back even more confirmed in their faith than they had been before. It says that they were glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. Their faith in the Lord was confirmed by the facts that they had witnessed. They kept in their mind what they had heard. They went and saw it. And as they left, they said, it's exactly as God told it to us. The word of God was confirmed true. Hallelujah. And let us note that just as the shepherd's faith was based upon fact and true events that took place in time and space, so our faith is based upon true history, not folklore, not fairy tales. They took, the gospel story took place in history to actual people. As these rough Judean shepherds returned to the fields in the middle of the night. Their hearts were full. They 
they could not keep themselves from worship. I mean, I could, I could imagine some neighbors waking up and going, who are those, who's out in the middle of the night talking up so loud or singing or whatever they're doing, causing a racket, you know, turn it down, you know, just getting all angry for these ruffians walking by their, their, their door making such a racket. But their worship bubbled out of them. They, they were glorifying and praising God. Those, those two words being synonymous terms for worship. The shepherds worshipped. And this is a worship that we must engage in as well. You see, God gave us his word to lead us to worship. But you see, worship in the church today has gotten twisted and redefined. For the past several decades, Christians have developed a truncated and, I believe, deficient view of worship. For many today, worship is simply equated with music. Worship means I sing. Worship means particularly corporate singing at church. And so when they talk of worship, they talk of it exclusively as consisting of a corporate singing time at a church or maybe a conference. On top of this, worship is often viewed as an encounter with God. And Christians believe they haven't worshipped until they've felt like they've encountered God. And therefore, worship becomes defined by people's experience and feelings. But biblically, this is not the case. Worship Rather, is a regular activity by God's people in which they ascribe glory to God. Particularly, worship to God consists in two, in two ways. The first is, is in speaking words which exalt Him. It's, it's in us opening our mouths and declaring how great God is. That He is the greatest, He's the most glorious. Worship is acknowledging and responding to God's glory. These words of worship are, can be in song, can be in prayer, but they're ascribing glory and greatness to God. But in the midst of that speaking words, there's also something going on in our hearts, and that is that we are to be enjoying God as well. We don't just speak words and say, God, you're great, God, you're glorious, and think that God's being worshipped. God is not Worshipped as we simply say the right words as if it were a mantra. God is worshipped as we treasure him and as we enjoy him as the great and glorious being that he is. It was C.S. Lewis who observed that people praise and talk about that which they treasure the most. He said, he said well, you can just hear people talking about a sports team that they treasure or, or a good book or a movie or a vacation spot. They love to praise that which they love. And in reality, so much of our social media feeds are really just an expression of this very reality. We love to praise or declare that which we truly treasure and love. Therefore, we glorify God when we declare how great He is and that deep down in our hearts we treasure Him more than anything else. There's nothing else that we love more Nothing else we desire more. We speak about how great He is and how He satisfies our deepest longings and our, and our greatest needs. 
We were made to be satisfied in God alone. And yet this world is, is devotes time and energy in their entire lives to seeking to find satisfaction in the things of this earth. And we can easily get sucked into this as well. But if we're going to worship as the shepherds worshipped on that Christmas night 2,000 years ago, we must see God for who He is, and we must treasure Him deeply, confessing and recognizing that nothing else can satisfy us like God can. That all these things this world has to offer pales in comparison. Pales in comparison. It was C.S. Lewis who says that our problem is not that we're that we're, uh, we're, we, we seek, we're seeking pleasure too much. You know, people look at it like, oh, people are just pleasure seekers and they're looking for too much, too much pleasure. He says, no, 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 we're far too easily pleased. We're, he says, we're all just like kids playing in a puddle in the slum when we have no idea what it's like to go to have a holiday at the sea. We're all splashing around in our mud puddles of enjoyments here on earth. We have no idea what truly enjoying God is like, that it will satisfy everything far and above anything we could ever ask or think. Look to God to satisfy your deepest joys. Let his love satisfy you. That's That's what the shepherds experienced. And they couldn't help praising God for all that he had done. You see, God gave us his word. We've been talking about the word of God that was spoken to the shepherds and spoken to us in here, and we've got to respond to it and obey it. And, but all of this is not just so that God's got little tin soldiers walking around doing exactly what he wants. And he, he, he gave us his word for, for relationship. His revelation is for relationship with him. This is not an end in itself. This is a means to an end. It's to get us to God, to enjoy him, to delight in him, to have intimacy with him. God desires that we know him intimately. And that is found through reading his word, through responding in prayer and worship. And so this Christmas, don't look for your deepest joy to come. From the presents, the food, the traditions, or even our families, which provide us a lot of joy. But all of these, God has given us to enjoy, and it's great that we can enjoy them, but recognize that they are only temporal enjoyment and do not satisfy us ultimately. If we look for our ultimate satisfaction from them, we will find our hearts empty once again. So the good news this morning is that you truly can have a Merry Christmas this year. We just need to follow these stepping stones that the shepherds laid out for us here. The shepherds and Mary provided wonderful examples of the path we need to take to have the promised joy promised by the angels. Let's pray and ask God to help us have that joy this morning. Our Father, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. You did not remain in heaven, but you revealed yourself. You let us know who you are. And beyond that, you came to rescue us, recognizing that we would never see you for your glorious self. We would never worship you or delight in you if our hearts were not changed. We cannot produce worship on our own. We cannot produce delight on our own. Father, our sin 
causes us to look to everything else other than you. Forgive us for for playing around with the temporary, shallow joys of this life. Help us to find our deepest joy and satisfaction in you today. And then, with that foundation laid, may we truly enjoy the good gifts that we celebrate this time of year, recognizing that you are the giver of all of them. Father, we want joy that rests in you, pleasures forevermore. And I pray that you, out of your generosity, would grant them to us through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.